Hello, I'm Anushka. Today the Bible reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. I will be using the NIV. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many weaknesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Well, as we continue our series in 2 Timothy uh, today, please join me in prayer as we commit uh, this time to God. Father God, we do thank you that we have your word and we pray that as we consider it now and think about uh, the challenge that the Apostle Paul laid before Timothy, that you might challenge us afresh too, uh, that we might be those uh, that are committed to this great task of passing on your word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on January 25th, 1905, at the Premier Mine in Pretoria, South Africa, a 3,106 carat diamond was discovered during a routine inspection by the mine superintendent. Weighing 603 grams and christened the Cullinan after the owner of the mine, it was the largest diamond ever found. Uh, Thomas Cullinan sold the diamond to the Transvaal provincial government, which then presented the stone to Britain's King Edward VII as a birthday gift. Worried that the diamond might be stolen in transit from Africa to London, Edward arranged to send a fake diamond aboard a steamer ship loaded with detectives as a diversionary tactic to attract those who would be interested in stealing it. A parcel was even ceremoniously locked in a safe on board the ship and guarded for the entire journey. And while the decoy slowly made its way from Africa on the ship, the real diamond was sent to England in a plain box via registered post. The diamond was presented to the king at Sandringham House for his 66th birthday and would become part of the crown jewels. 
And the king then chose uh, Joseph Asher and Company of Amsterdam to cleave and to polish the rough stone into the brilliant gems of various cuts and sizes. Asher's son collected it from the colonial office in London on 23rd of January, 1908. He returned to the Netherlands by train and ferry with the diamond simply in his coat pocket with no protection. Meanwhile, to much fanfare, a Royal Navy ship carried an empty box across the North Sea, again seeking to throw off potential thieves. Even the captain of the ship had no idea that his precious cargo was simply a decoy. You see, the king entrusted his priceless diamond to a trustworthy jeweler, to the very reliable family that would cut and shape it. It was eventually cut into large, into nine large stones and about a hundred smaller ones, and it was valued at millions of dollars. And so the courier had to be reliable. And the largest of those stones are still on display today in the Tower of London. They form part of Britain's crown jewels. Uh, the largest is usually mounted in the sovereign's royal scepter and the second largest in the imperial state crown. Although the queen sometimes wears them together on special occasions as the world's most expensive brooch. Again, the royal family needs a very reliable person to oversee these jewels as they are brought to and fro. Well, as we come to the first half of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy today, we have something even more precious which must be passed on. And as a result, it must be entrusted to the right people. So notice what the Apostle Paul states again in verses 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Notice that the grace or unmerited favour that Timothy is to be strong in comes from Christ alone. God's help or his enabling power can assist timid Timothy uh, to really embrace his role as the one who must pass on the precious gospel. The gospel is the core teaching that Timothy has heard Paul proclaim in verse 2. It's that which has also been witnessed by many others, we're told. And the reference to witnesses here is most likely that many people could testify to what Paul had consistently taught, and perhaps more narrowly, uh, that many were aware of Timothy's charge to pass on that teaching, particularly in the city of Ephesus, where he was the pastor. And the aim of this transmission is that leaders would be raised up who would also be able to pass on the gospel to yet others still. And so the term entrust uh, refers to committing something to another for their safekeeping or their safe transmission. And we're told that two qualities are necessary uh, in those entrusted with passing on the gospel in verse 2. Firstly, reliability, which refers to a proven loyalty to the truth in this context. And then secondly, an aptitude to teach. And so sound doctrine is faithfully entrusted to others who will then reliably pass it on or teach it to. And so Timothy is to give himself to this important task. But as we've already seen last week in chapter one, the apostle Paul had attracted a lot of opposition himself in seeking to fulfill this task. And by extension, Timothy would too. 
by extension further to today, pastors today are called to this task to raise up reliable future teachers of the gospel. But it's broader even than ministers of the gospel. In addition, all believers really are called to this task in the broader sense. We are to reliably pass the truth on to the next generation, whether through particular ministries of the church or more informally, just through conversations, even passing it on to our own children. We're wanting to grow mature disciples who will faithfully teach God's word to others. But Paul feared that Timothy's commitment to this task was waning. And there's a danger that could be ours as well. And so the big question that I want us to consider today is why must we count the cost of passing on the gospel? Why must we count the cost of passing on the gospel? I've got two answers to that question from today's passage. And the first answer is this, because it will involve suffering. It will involve suffering. Notice again what is stated by the Apostle Paul in verse 3, the first part, and then in verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, join with me in suffering. And then in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Well, notice firstly, Paul's call to Timothy to join him in his suffering. Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter, as we uh, saw last week, and he is actually awaiting his execution. And so as he urged Timothy to commit himself to this same ministry, he was aware of the cost. And this is not a case of being masochistic, of you know, seeking out pain, but simply acknowledging that passing on the gospel will lead to suffering of one kind or another. It's a given. And Paul makes that connection between the gospel and suffering explicit, doesn't he, in verses 8 and 9. We have this short definition of the gospel. And it's thought to be an early Christian summary. And its two elements are perhaps surprising. Risen from the dead. That's a passive participle. And the focus is less on the resurrection and more on the present rule of Jesus. The resurrection is the guarantee of all the other aspects of the work of Jesus, including his current authority, his lordship, which is really the focus here for Paul. But the second phrase descended from David points to the line of promise that Jesus is the awaited son of David, the Christ. And so we might summarize Paul's gospel summary even further and say he's preaching Jesus as Lord and Christ. But the point in verses 8 and 9 is to assert that this passing on of the gospel has led to his suffering, even to the point of him being chained like a criminal. And so Paul's referring to his imprisonment in Rome and he's calling Timothy to such an end, if that is what it comes to. But unlike Paul, God's word is not chained because it's being passed on to others. His very point in this section, who will in turn entrust it to yet others still. And so Timothy has to count the cost of this ministry of passing on the gospel. But coming back uh, to verses 3 to 6 that we skipped over, notice how Paul seeks to motivate and encourage Timothy, given this suffering that will ensue from his ministry. 
So notice Paul writes, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Three simple illustrations are used and each is taken from everyday life. Uh, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. The soldier serves as an illustration of fortitude for Timothy in verse 3, who was probably anything but military in his approach to his task, given that he's a young, timid leader. The inference is that every Christian must expect some measure of ill treatment, just as every soldier does. And in verse 4, as he continues this illustration, it's a question of priorities. You know, the call to military service takes precedence over the affairs of this life. Likewise, the task of passing on the gospel is the same, and so we should not be preoccupied with the things of this world. And the reason for casting aside earthly things that entangle and hinder our gospel focus is so that we can please our commanding officer, Christ. Well, in verse 5, Paul moves on to his second illustration of an athlete, thinking of the ancient Greek games, where the focus here is on discipline. And our athletes had to be professional, just as they have to be today. They have to compete according to the rules. And the rules related not only to the race itself, for example, but to the prescribed training that came with it, which would ensure the athlete had a chance of being crowned the winner. Likewise, Timothy needed to keep to the rules or the pattern fixed by the life and teaching of Jesus. And then in verse 6, Paul highlights the hardworking farmer, who's an example of diligent toil, of perseverance. And we're told that such perseverance will be rewarded, just as the disciplined athlete will receive a crown. Paul is instructing Timothy and ourselves that you know, we need to in, learn to endure like the soldier, to be disciplined like the athlete, to persevere like the farmer, so that we might be encouraged to keep going in this task of passing on the gospel. I mean, given that it's going to produce suffering in our lives, we need to count the cost. And we need to be rightly motivated, therefore, to serve our commanding officer, Jesus. Alexander the Great, the Greek general who conquered the known world 300 years before Christ, had a very loyal army. Indeed, they would die for their leader, and many did. And it was not simply fear of Alexander which brought such loyalty. It was Alexander's own example that inspired his soldiers' devotion. He led the way they followed. And so the question for a believer is this, are you actually willing to give up everything in this life to follow Jesus your Lord. If Jesus is the ruler of an eternal kingdom and he asks for your total allegiance, and he does so because he's laid down his life for you, he calls you to set aside your earthly entanglements so that you can be focused on passing on the precious message of the gospel with endurance, with discipline, with perseverance, despite the suffering that it will produce. And that brings me to a second answer to this question of why we must count the cost 
of passing on the gospel. Secondly, because God calls us to endure to the end. God calls us to endure to the end. So notice what is stated in verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So notice that Paul offers a motivation for enduring suffering here as he entrusts the gospel to reliable teachers. And that is for the sake of the salvation of others. He refers here to the elect, which means those who have been chosen by God, but are yet to put their trust in Jesus. Now, we don't know who the elect are, who God will work in to respond to his grace. But as we pass on the gospel to others so that the baton is not dropped, we are to realize that God will use people to declare the good news as part of his process of drawing believers into his eternal family. And so all of Paul and Timothy's present trials are worthwhile in view of this priceless benefit to those who will obtain salvation, to those who will receive the gospel message. And that final phrase in verse 10, eternal glory, envisages heaven, you know, the consummation of the believer's salvation. And it also highlights the suffering of this life, that it will give way to the eternal glory that is to come. Paul is actually big on this theme. He speaks about it a number of times in the New Testament. And that's because we're to follow the pattern, as he will so often say, the pattern of our Saviour of suffering in this life and glory to come. One example of this is in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. There we read, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, believers will not have an easy path in this life. There is suffering that we endure for Christ's sake, suffering that comes directly from our Christian faith in a world that rejects Christ. And this is not some perverse seeking out of persecution, but rather it's part and parcel of being a disciple of Jesus. But our future privileges should make us live with the right perspective in the present so that we keep passing on the gospel, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. The famous preacher and writer John Bunyan uh, from the Reformation times was imprisoned for 12 years in Bedford Jail. But that didn't stop him from passing on the gospel while he was inside. In fact, large groups would gather outside the walls of the jail to hear him preach when he was allowed out to walk around in the courtyard. And once, while he was in prison, a whole congregation of 60 people was arrested and brought in at night. And a witness recorded, I heard Mr. Bunyan both preach and pray with a mighty spirit of faith and divine assistance that made me stand and wonder. Bunyan himself said of his persistence in passing on the gospel, in training up others, God being my help and shield, I will yet suffer if frail life might continue so long even till the moss shall grow on my eyes, rather than violate my faith. 
And not only are we to endure suffering as we pass on the gospel because of those who will be saved, but also because we're called to endure to the end. We're not to give up. We're to keep going. Notice what Paul states in his faithful saying in 2 Timothy from verses 10, uh, rather 11 to 13. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Well, notice firstly this uh, continuing theme of glory. There are great things to look forward to, even in hardship of our present lot because of the gospel. The phrase, we died with him, means that we have died to our old life when we have identified ourselves with Christ. And this is motivation for our Christian endurance. We know whose we are. And so in the last part of verse 11 and into verse 12, if we endure, we're told that we will live with Christ and reign with him. Pointing forward again to our heavenly experience, our, our sharing in Christ's victory. But notice too the warning in the second half of verse 12. Paul raises the possibility of a person denying Christ. This is reminiscent of Christ's own words in Matthew 10 verses 32 and 33 where Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. It's a well-known passage which goes on where Jesus calls those who would follow him to take up their cross, to realize the cost that they are to give up their life now so that they might gain it for eternity. And then we're told in that same passage in Matthew 10 that if we fail to do this, we are not worthy of him. Well, as we apply these teachings of Jesus and Paul to ourselves, we realize that there are no half-baked options when it comes to following Christ. And so if there are real costs, we need to count them if we plan to follow Jesus and pass on the gospel to others. It's not a half-hearted life. If we don't consider the commitment, we will be tempted to shrink back as Timothy was. All those who are genuine believers will endure to the end. In fact, their endurance will prove that they were Christ's. But counting the cost is not something that we're attracted to because we live in a comfortable Western society that pursues a life of ease from the cradle to the grave. And so to deny yourself and take up your cross, it's not an appealing invitation. You know, to die to your old self is a confronting message. It's a lifelong challenge. But anything short of this is fake. Neil Postman, in his classic book about American culture called Amusing Ourselves to Death, said this about the Christian faith. I believe I am not mistaken in saying that Christianity is serious and demanding. When it is delivered as easy and amusing, it is another kind of religion altogether. Well, he's right. Following Jesus is serious, as Jesus is calling followers who will give up everything to entrust the precious life-saving message of the gospel to the next generation. 
If we're not serious and wholehearted, then it's not the Christian life that we're living. It's not what Jesus has called us to. We're not following and serving him. Why must we count the cost of passing on the gospel as Paul is challenging Timothy to? Well, because it's going to involve suffering, because we're called to endure to the end. But what a great hope awaits us. We have the promise of heaven of being with Christ, our saviour, whose message we should long to hold out to a waiting world around us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we find it challenging in this world that so often we do feel on the back foot as believers. Uh, there are many who are not excited to hear the gospel, but rather readily push back and reject it. And yet we know that we're called to continue to pass on the good news, to entrust it to reliable people who will continue to pass on the gospel to others, that we might see a chain that continues down through the ages, that the baton may not be dropped. Oh Lord, help us to be people that don't shrink back, who don't fear the opinions of those around us, but rather stand firm because we have a commander-in-chief in Christ who calls us to. Lord, help us to serve him, to seek to honour him above all. Strengthen us to this end, we pray by your spirit. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.